Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about two unique planning strategies that might help you eliminate capital gains from your portfolio. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I'm Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you. Great to see you, Ross. It is uh, good to see you. Not good to see the market right now. There's a, there's a lot of blood in the water. It's, it's another ugly week out there. Yeah, it's been a, a bad couple of days leading up to today, which is more moderate. Yeah, so we're, we're recording this on Tuesday this week, yesterday and Friday. Friday had a really hot inflation number again. That has kind of raised concerns that the Fed hike might go to 75 basis points rather than 50 this month. So, um, you know, I definitely think that is a higher likelihood. You're even hearing some people say they might go up to a full percent. Um, we'll see. Uh, that That's obviously still to come, but lots of pain continues in the markets and particularly for crypto investors. If you guys remember, a few months ago, we did an episode where we created an NFT as part of that process, I had to open a crypto wallet, and I was told I needed to fund like $100 in there and, and buy Ethereum. Uh, that is my only crypto exposure. But I was prompted to log in the other day to see what my $100 has done since then. And as we're recording, it is worth $29.12. Ooh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. Also, our, our NFT is still for sale. Monkey Butt uh, continues to live on as an opportunity. Uh, for some lucky investor that wants to buy it. Uh, and I'm just kidding. Please don't buy it. You will not make any money owning our monkey butt NFT. But it still amuses me. It, I, I, every time I look at it, it makes me laugh. It does. It makes me laugh too. I love that graphic. We might need to use it on a beer label or something. Uh, I'm first in line for that beer if we end up with a monkey butt beer. Uh, I'm not sure what you would flavor that with. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, it does not taste like its name. I can go on a tangent. Uh, in fact, I'm going to. So excuse me for a moment. But there is a brewery in Frederick, Maryland called Old Mother that has won several awards for a beer it does uh, made with a particular beaver gland. Uh, it's called, uh, the name is escaping me now, but it is, uh, it's really tasty, but monkey butt would not be too far of a stretch from beers that have been done in the past. Interesting. All right. Well, so we're, we're in good company then if we, if we decide to go down that path. It, it has like a raspberry taste is what you get from this beaver in case anyone is curious. Dan, leave the beavers alone for now. Uh, just make, I'm not touching beavers. I, well, I don't know. Just for the record. Sounds like you've got more information than, than what you should have on, on what's going on with the beaver. That may be true, but those two things aren't correlated. So last week, you and I got an opportunity to do something uh, in person that we haven't done in what feels like many years, which is we went to an industry conference. Yeah, I would say it felt good to be back out, but the truth is uh, it was a struggle to sit through what was like basically nine hours of presentations. And and rubbing shoulders with other industry folks. Uh, and this is not a knock on the organization. It was a financial planning organization. It was kind of the national DC 
chapter, uh, National Capital Area uh, Financial Planning Association group that met. And they do these symposiums for a couple of reasons. One, it's good networking. You get to kind of chat with folks. Two, they bring in speakers. And particularly relevant for us, you get continuing education credit hours, of which we need uh, 15 a year, basically, to continue to maintain our, our CFP credential. That being said, sitting there for that long was very, very difficult. And I'm constantly confused as to why advisors wear suits to a conference like that. Who are they trying to impress? I'm completely blown away that people would choose to sit there not speaking to clients in a suit all day while trying to learn something. I think the two of us not wearing suits probably impressed more people than the people wearing suits. Well, it's it's just strange to me. I, like, and and again, maybe there's some, maybe that's just their culture. And and certainly, like when I was at Morgan Stanley back in the day, that was a suit and tie culture. Like, that's what you needed to wear in that office on a regular day to day basis. But I can't imagine people were going into their offices before or after that when it's a full day of sessions. It just uh, struck me as very strange. Right. There are no prospects there. You're not winning business. In fact, you are the prospect. There are people who are wholesalers or other types of salespeople lining the halls trying to get your business as an advisor. And I assure you they want your business whether you're wearing a suit or not. That, that is correct. I don't miss that part of it. Um, and, and we don't use much in terms of third-party product uh, in our practice, and that is intentional. Uh, and so having a bunch of mutual fund wholesalers trying to pitch us fund ideas I think was... Uh, you know, and, and these are nice guys. Like I, I don't have anything against them or what they're trying to do or their business, but they're kind of barking up the wrong tree with us. And uh, at the same time, you want to be respectful of like what they're trying to do. And I'm I'm not trying to be a jerk. Like they're they're guys just working hard and manning the table. That doesn't look fun either. So uh, yeah, it's a little bit of an interesting experience. That being said, we took eight continuing ed credits out of it and uh, tried to learn a couple things. Yeah. And for me, the reason I agreed to go with Ross was because I normally do my continuing ed online, but I find that when you do that, there's a tendency to rush through it and maybe you're not absorbing so much of the information. But if you're forced to sit in a room for nine hours, and again, it was not pleasant, the hope is you're going to get more out of it. You're actually going to retain the information. And for me, if you can pick one or two good pieces of information out of a day like that, I call it a win. And I think both in terms of the continuing ed credits that we received and getting a couple nuggets. It was a, it was an overall good day for us. Yeah. So I think there were a couple things that stuck out in my mind strategy wise, and neither of these was completely new information. I'd heard them before, but they tend to be things that just don't come up day to day for us. Right. You know, the things that we're talking about constantly listeners of our show will be familiar with things like Roth conversions and trying to, uh, accelerate or decelerate taxes, depending on kind of where you are in your trajectory and kind of how to handle some of these day-to-day things, right? We got into some niche issues. Uh, and one of them I thought was particularly interesting, which was upstream gifting. Yeah. I feel like we've talked a lot about what in effect is downstream gifting, and that's giving to the younger generations. So instead of holding on to your assets and leaving them as an inheritance to someone, giving them during your lifetime and watching people enjoy the gift instead of not being around when that happens. Upstream gifting is the reverse of that, basically. It's making a gift to the older generation. Now, in this scenario, we're talking specifically about gifting highly appreciated assets to the older generation. So if I had a stock that I bought for $10 and now it's $100 a share, gifting those to them. 
Why on earth would you do that? Well, you're you're counting on a couple things here. So the key is that number one, when you give a gift of appreciated stock, you are gifting the basis along with it. So that person will have the full value of the stock in their account. They will also have the baked-in capital gains that have not been realized yet, as long as you gift the shares and not sell them and and gift the cash. Normally, we view that as a negative, right? If you're trying to get money out of your estate that's going to younger generations, we say you probably shouldn't give them appreciated stock in most cases because they're going to have to sell it and realize the gain, where if you keep it in your portfolio and ultimately pass it to them as part of your estate, they're going to get a step up in basis. This is basically that same strategy, but shifting it upstream. So you would, as the younger person, gift the appreciated stock to an older parent or grandparent, and the expectation would be, and this takes a lot of trust, right? This is, this is very much a trust fall exercise, but the expectation would be that they will ultimately leave it back to you as part of their estate and that then it will get the step up. And so you could include it as part of their estate as long as they hold it for a full year. Right? If, if somebody's on their deathbed, this does not work. But uh, if they hold it for a year and then pass with it, you'll ultimately get that step up if they leave it back to you. So it's kind of a, a backdoor way of eliminating what could be a pretty meaningful capital gain in your portfolio. Another opportunity here could be some tax optimization. So in the event that the older generation might be in a very different scenario for capital gains than you. And there is a 0% capital gains tax bracket. We've talked about it in the past. That could also be an efficient way to do a genuine gift to the older generation if they're going to be able to sell something and have a lower tax burden than you would. So there are a couple opportunities there, definitely a couple risks because it is a, a gift, right? They control the destiny of that asset once you gift it to them. And uh, maybe maybe they sour on you. Right. Well, the, I mean, a number of things could happen, right? Number one, uh, they could choose not to give it back to you, right? They, they could sell the thing and do whatever they want with it. Uh, it is also open to their creditors. So if uh, for some reason they became bankrupt, uh, it could be sold or, you know, that value destroyed as part of a bankruptcy or, or settling some other debt that they may have. So, uh, yeah, definitely not a strategy you want to go into lightly, and I think the the key here is communicating with the family members. You know, money is really one of the more taboo subjects, I think. And we're so comfortable talking about it because we do this all day, right? Both in terms of our show and, and then talking, you know, one-on-one with clients. These are very common topics for us to talk about. But inside a lot of families, talking about money just isn't that common. And And I think that this requires getting into a how do we talk about family wealth rather than individual wealth mindset to really be planning at this level? And by making an open conversation, there's a greater opportunity to make the best decision instead of keeping everything quiet and then guessing. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there's lots of things where the parents might be doing something or the grandparents might be doing something trying to optimize the estate and simply don't realize that this could be an opportunity. Um, and you know, not that everybody should be a completely open book in terms of their finances, but if you're doing that planning and saying, who's got the lowest tax bracket right now? Who, what are we worried about in terms of capital gains and where are they located and who's got appreciated stuff? And yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity that could be uncovered there. 
again, like Ross said, I'm not sure you need to be doing this all the time, but if you have an objective you're trying to solve for, it does make sense to be open about it. So if I am actively thinking about gifting, asking the question could yield better results than just blindly throwing darts somewhere. 100%. So the other strategy that I was reminded of is was one that I haven't seen in a little while just because it hasn't been applicable uh, in, in the work that I've been doing. But it's another way to sell a very appreciated asset in some cases at 0% in capital gains. And that is the Qualified Small Business Stock Exemption. Dan, tell us about it. So this was new to me, and it was very exciting. This won't apply to everyone, but I'm increasingly hearing about people looking to make investments in private businesses, and this is definitely something to be aware of. So the Qualified Small Business Stock Exemption says that if you invest, there are a lot of caveats here. I'm probably going to skip some of them and we can get into them later. But essentially, if you invest in a small business with assets under $50 million, that is uh, established as a C-corp, you can potentially sell your interest if you hold for five or more years and pay no capital gains tax on that sale. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And that's a rule that's been around since 2010. And really yes. actually was originated in 1993, but was expanded in 2010 to be able to exclude the entire gain. And I don't hear advisors talking about that very often. That sounds to me like a missed opportunity for some people. Definitely, especially as people are actively looking for opportunities for investment. And if you're a small business owner and looking to establish a business, this is a great tool to solicit investment dollars. If you're aware of the criteria and you qualify you should be talking about this to people because it'll make it easier to fund your business. Now, not to let the air out of everybody's balloon immediately, there is a pretty limited list of businesses that qualify or types of businesses. And specifically what the IRS does is exclude a bunch of things. And it's essentially everything that you and I do, Dan. Uh, so if you <laughs> right. work in finance, banking, law, health, architecture, accounting, even farming businesses, uh, hotels, motels, restaurants, or similar businesses, they don't qualify. What does that leave us with? Not a lot. I think the short list is they're trying to encourage investment in manufacturing and tech, which do cover a lot of different, uh, different businesses. Uh, retailing and wholesaling are also categories that they include there, but I guess it depends on your definition of retailing. Yeah, so it, it's definitely not every business, but if you've got somebody that's starting a tech firm or somebody that is starting a, uh, a manufacturing company of some sort and they are looking for an investor, well, this could be a discussion point to say, hey, are you a C-Corp? And you know, I would be more apt to invest if you became one. Now, that also introduces some other things at the business level. So not everybody's going to be willing to do this it's going to create things like double taxation, perhaps, and a lot more administration at the corporate level to go from either an LLC, a sole proprietorship, or, or even an S-corporation. Right. The other restriction is you need to buy your shares directly from the business. So you need to be kind of a first-person purchaser of this investment. And business assets must be and remain below $50 million throughout the life of your investment. I mean, that feels like a lot of hoops to jump through, but when you think about what a an exit could look like, to be able to exclude effectively a 10x gain is what's allowed to be excluded here. Over the course of five years or more, 
tax-free. That's an incredible benefit. So, uh, you know, again, it's not going to apply to every situation. Very few of the nuanced financial planning things that we have in our kind of back pocket as tools, as advisors, very few of them work for everybody. But uh, again, in this environment where people are looking for investment to start something, I think that this is very much something to keep on your radar. Now, Dan, where where's the gotcha as a C-Corp? I mean, certainly we talked about the administration, but if you're an owner of a business, and, I, and I'm saying this to you because you are the owner of a business, but what are some of the other points that you're generally weighing on C-Corp versus S-Corp? The tax on two levels is one of them. So as a C-Corp, you pay tax as a business entity, and then when you distribute money to the owners or, or the shareholders, they're going to pay tax on that distribution as well. That is as compared to a pass-through, which is almost every other business structure, whether you're sole proprietor, LLC, S-Corp, where all of the profits and losses of the business are flowing through to the owners. I call it in real time. So if the business makes money, whether or not you've distributed anything, you're paying taxes on that money. If the business loses money, you get that loss to, to counter some of your gains. Yeah, so that becomes an uncomfortable situation for an investor where the business is profitable, it's generating a profit on paper, which means that the owners have to pay taxes on it. It's going to kick out, you know, in most cases, a K-1. And if the business hasn't sent any cash their way, either because they're reinvesting it or doing something else with it, now you owe taxes effectively on income that you didn't get to see. Um, that is one of the least exciting ways to pay taxes when you don't actually have the cash flow and have to potentially sell something else to come up with the with the cash. That's the same reason people were really upset about mutual funds back in like 2008 was they were kicking out capital gains distributions while not only were they down, but you also didn't have any cash to deal with it. And then you might have had to sell that same asset simply to pay the taxes. So, so kind of phantom income can be really uh, an uncomfortable situation for an investor if it's not being managed properly. Yeah. The other thing about C-Corps is there's a lot more administration to go through. There's formality with a C-Corp that might be less rigid if you're an LLC. Uh, so the business must be prepared for for that component as well. Yeah. I mean, you have to document like annual meetings and, and like meeting minutes and things like that uh, as part of a C-Corp, which I'm sure everybody uh, that owns one is super tip top on top of, right? Like that, uh, the number of people that I think would have to go back and recreate some meeting minutes uh, if if they were audited, I bet is a, is a long list. So, uh, you know, we know it's rough out there. Uh, we wanted to share a couple of these ideas just because we, we thought that they were interesting. We were refreshed in our minds of them. And even though I can't say all eight continuing ed credit hours were, were revolutionary for me personally, um, it, it was a great time to, to be able to get out and uh, see what other folks are doing and just kind of be, be in the world of advisors because I think we're very much in our own bubble uh, being in a small shop like ours. You were definitely the networker of the two of us. I, I think when you asked me to pick a seat, I picked as far from any other human being as I could, not because <laughs> you of tried to get away from everybody. That said, you sucked people towards us, and we had some great conversations. And I know we picked up a couple subscribers. So uh, if you're listening, it was great meeting you. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you again at future events. That sounds great. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. If you've got questions for Dan or I, check your balances at outlook.com, is the email address for the show. We will catch you all next week.